the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, he gives Pharaoh time and time again chances before he brings this heavy judgment. We know the reason why is because God declares in his word that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. you called us as your own, you brought us to your fold. You know, we read in scripture elsewhere that God's spirit won't always strive with man, right? And here's the truth. If you keep fighting God, he'll say, fine, is really what you want? You've got it. And then he confirms our stubbornness. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join senior pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of their enslavement to the land promised to their fathers. Moses had doubts about how everything would work out. He voiced these doubts to God at the beginning of chapter 4. Will Moses let his doubts and concerns stop him from obeying God's call? We join Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 4, verse 18. Well, the whole theme of Exodus is God is making a promise to a new nation. Genesis, we saw the thread from all the way back. We saw it all the way from Adam, and we moved all the way down as we zeroed in, narrowed down, 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 until now we've been brought back to the present, been brought to Moses writing to the people who are there in the desert. And he's still looking back a little bit, but in that process of looking back a little bit, he's, he's now dealing with the nation of Israel. He's giving God's promises to them. In fact, when we get to six, we're going to find those clear promises are vocalized by the Lord himself to what he's going to do for this nation. But in chapter 4, we've come from that place where Moses has now left the burning bush by the time we get to verse 18. And Moses is out of excuses. Every excuse he's given, God has answered. But that doesn't necessarily mean Moses is all gung-ho about going to Egypt. And we're going to see that 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 problem is going to surface as we move forward because he's going to run into other problems all the way through to the end of chapter 5. How many of you have kids that have selective hearing? Isn't it amazing? I could be looking right at them and I say, go to your room, pick up the dirty clothes on the floor, and step three, bring them to the laundry room. And they will just look at you like, what language are you speaking, man? (laughs) But we could be whispering, me and my wife, about something that holds their interest. And they will come by and go, what was that about that? And it is, it's selective, you know, husbands have it too. But you know, this selective hearing, and sometimes we can make the same mistake. Sometimes we have selective spiritual hearing. The power of his resurrection. I don't remember that part about the fellowship of his suffering. And we we can do that. We can have selective spiritual hearing. But Jesus said not one punctuation mark would fail of God's words. That includes the warnings of the difficult times that we'll experience as his children. Every word matters. For Moses, we're going to find that because he had some selective hearing, that's the source of some of the additional problems that he encounters through the end of chapter 4 and all the way through chapter 5. So with that in mind, let's dive back in chapter 4, verse 18. Moses 
is now going to leave the burning bush and eventually head to Egypt. So verse 18, chapter 4. And Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said unto him, Let me go, I pray you, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought your life. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he set them upon a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So here we find Moses now. He has left the burning bush, and he returns to Jethro. And he comes to his father-in-law, and he says to him, I need to go. Let me go, I pray you, and return unto my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. I want to bring this up real quick. Obeying God doesn't mean being a bad employee. I've always been in management pretty much all of my adult life. Since I turned 18 or 17, I got my first job very shortly after I turned 18 and then became a shift manager at Taco Bell. So I've pretty much always been in that role of some sort of management somewhere. And, you know, as a manager, I can say that one of my least favorite hires was Christians. I say that because they had all sorts of excuses why they didn't have to do their job. I actually had one employee at that job, Taco Bell, that would, she would show up late and she would say, hey, Mr. Will, you know, I'm late. Sorry, spending time with Jesus. And I'm like, how about Jesus have you over here? And because uh, we're all shorthanded and working extra and your witness is horrible. And I was frustrated by this. And I remember I pulled her aside one time and I said, listen, this is kind of like off job stuff. I said, but I'm a Christian too. And, and when you do that, you really affect my witness. Show up on time. Actually, hey, about this, show up early. And then work hard when you're here. That will be a witness more so than you showing up saying you spent time with Jesus because all the unbelievers here wishing you spent less time with Jesus. Our work ethic is part of our witness. We should be a good employee. Moses comes to his father-in-law and he asks permission to go. Now, I do find it ironic because Moses is 80 years old. And this is not just an employee. This is also his father-in-law. I, I don't think he really needs permission. I mean, I think it's polite to say, hey, listen, well, you know, what notice do you need? Or how can I leave this job in a way to set you up in the good position? But part of me wonders if he was hoping Jethro would say no. Yeah, can I go to Egypt and see how everybody's doing? And Jethro would be like, no, I need you here. He's like, oh, sorry, God. I wonder. There's part of me that wonders. Because he does kind of give a lame reason for leaving. He doesn't say, Jethro, I know you count on me and everything, but I had this crazy experience with a bush that burned and wasn't consumed. And it was God. And he's telling me to, and none of that. He comes home and he's like, yeah, hey, let me go. I kind of miss my family. I'm not even sure if they're still alive. Really? That's not the full story, Moses. Hedging your bet a bit? Very easy for Moses to say, well, you know, I'll head toward Egypt. And I'm sure Aaron probably isn't on the way because what are the odds of that? And, you know, if I do happen to run into Aaron, then I'll keep going to see if my people are even alive. It's not like we get newspapers out here on the backside of the desert. Pharaoh could have wiped all my people out. Whatever the reason, though, Moses takes his sweet old time leaving. We're going to see that in the next verse. But when we're slow to obey, it leaves a lot of time to think. You ever had that happen? God tells you to do something, and you're like, I need to do this. Like a relationship that's bent out of shape, and, and you need to go and apologize, or you need to go and talk to him because you're upset, but it's, it's stewing. And then what happens? The day comes by, and you're like, oh, not today. And then the next day, not today. And then like five days later, you just think, I don't even want to talk to them anymore. And, and what happens is, is that obedience begins to waver. You have a lot of time to think, and then a new problem can possibly set in. In this case, for Moses, it was fear. Look at verse 19. Jethro tells him, he says, go in peace, go for it. Verse 19, well, then the Lord has to talk to him again. He says, the Lord said unto Moses in where? Midian, he's still not left. 
And he has to say, go. <laughs> Get up. Come on. Let's go. Return unto Egypt. And now he explains why he had to say it to him. For all the men are dead which sought your life. See, Moses hesitated because he was afraid. And the more he thought about it, I'm sure I, I do this. The more I think about something that I don't want to do or that looks like it's going to be difficult or I think to myself, this is going to create more problems for me or, or Lord, it's not going to work out good. And then you start to convince yourself out of it because you think, oh, this will never work. But the Lord doesn't want us to do that. Because here's the reality. Moses hesitated out of fear from a problem that didn't even exist. They were all dead. Have you ever done that before? You panic and you panic and you worry and you worry and you hesitate. And then all of a sudden you get information and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I remember there was one situation I was worried about with school. And, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I panicked and I came up with all these contingency plans of what I was going to do. And then, like, I got there that day and the teacher's like, oh, by the way, you have an extra two weeks for your assignment. I'm like, wow, okay, I just spent all that time worrying for nothing. In a panic, you try to prepare for the worst, but it turns out it wasn't even a problem. See, obedience is the answer to fearful thoughts or feelings, always. Obedience is always the answer. You know, when faced with the cross, what, what did Jesus do in the garden? He sweat great drops of blood because he was so under so much duress from the reality that he knew he was facing a cross. He understood all the things that you feel, but he obeyed, right? He obeyed. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I want to ask you, before we even get moving into some interesting parts here, you know, are you holding off obeying God out of fear right now? What will happen if I share the gospel with that person or with that family member? Or what will happen if I step out and put myself out there in this thing that God's asking me to do and I might just fall flat on my face? Here's the truth. The old songs say, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's a good truth. Verse 20, Moses finally leaves. It says, And Moses took his wife and his sons, his two boys, and he set them upon a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. He finally chooses to obey. But notice, there's one other little tidbit that's real important. And Moses took, what's it called now? Remember, God asked him, what do you got in your hand? He goes, rod. What's it called now? The rod of God in his hand. This is an indication that it's not just a shepherd's staff to Moses anymore. Now it's the rod of God. Moses may still be reluctant, but this is the moment he finally accepts the role that God had called him to. Whenever we do that, whenever we step out in faith and we obey the Lord, God gives us new instructions when we do it. He won't do that until you do that. You know, I oftentimes say, okay, God, you know, if, if I do this, then what are you going to do? And he's like, you got to do that to find out. But I, but I want all the details. And he's like, it doesn't work that way, see, because I'm more interested in my relationship with you. I'm more interested in the process than I am in all the details. So I need you to step out in faith and then I'll give you the next step. Remember Philip? Philip's in the middle of a revival in Samaria and God says, go down to Gaza where there's desert. Lord, you know, I mean, if I was Philip, I'd be like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You know, I don't, I, that is not God. God would not call me to go down to desert. He called me to minister to people. But Philip obeyed the Lord. And while he was there, he saw the chariot. And the Lord said to him then, he said, pull up alongside the chariot. Now, it's obvious this guy's a wealthy, powerful man. And you don't get to go running up to things like that. You usually end up with a spear in your gut. But he does. He obeys. And then while he's doing that, you know, he overhears the guy reading from the scriptures. And at that moment, you know, Philip goes, oh, you know, okay, now I know what, you got, what you're doing, God. But prior to that, he had no clue. Moses accepts the role and God has more instructions. Verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, when you go to return unto Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh. That is going to be an important thing. You can underline that because this is going to be a problem. See that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. 
And then you shall say unto Pharaoh, you shall say unto Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. Now, there's a lot of material in those three verses. There's a lot of interesting things to discuss. First off, we see here that the three miracles that God showed to Moses, the rod turning into a serpent, the hand turning into leprosy, and the water turning into blood, they weren't only to prove to Israel that Moses was telling the truth, that God had appeared to him. They would also prove that God was speaking to Pharaoh too. Now, take just a moment and think of the wonder of that, that God was speaking to Pharaoh. You know, all men fall short of God's glory, but this is a guy who falls way short. He's persecuted an entire people group, two million, at least two million people. And he's so proud that he brings ruin to his own nation in the future when he refuses to give in to God's demands. And yet, God speaks into his life. Do you know that God loved Pharaoh? Do you know that? You know, sometimes the way we depict him in movies and stuff, we don't get that impression at all that God cared about him. One of the most touching moments that is in all of Scripture is when uh, Moses comes to Pharaoh and he tells him about the, the last plague, the plague of the firstborn. And he tells Pharaoh, if you don't let the people go, God is going to kill every firstborn in this land. And when Pharaoh hardens his heart and he says, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. And the Bible says that Moses left angry. Why do you think he left angry? I know why he left angry. He left angry because of the heartache that Pharaoh was going to bring. It didn't have to go this far. God loved Pharaoh. He was speaking into Pharaoh's life. In fact, God loved all of Egypt. You say, how do you know that? Isaiah 18.25. You can mark it down if you're taking notes and check out the context later. But in Isaiah 18.25, God says this. It says, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people. He calls Egypt my people. He loved the Egyptians. He loved the nation of Egypt. And maybe you're here tonight and you wonder if God loves you. Do you know that God loves you no matter what you've done and that he'll never stop? No matter what happens, he loves you and he will never, ever stop. He tells Moses, when you get there, make sure you show him the signs, which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart and he won't listen. He won't let the people go. We read that and there's immediately, especially in me, I, I think to myself, that doesn't sound fair at all. You know, you know, if you care about Pharaoh, but you know, when Moses comes and shows the signs, why would you harden his heart so he can't do anything? Well, it's interesting. I love the Bible. The Bible's cool. You ever notice that? Like the Bible's like super cool. The word for harden here, there's actually two words in the Hebrew language that are used for harden in regards to Pharaoh. One of them means to become difficult, dull, or insensitive. The other one means to strengthen or confirm. Now the word that's used here is that one, to strengthen or confirm. And every time it's used, it refers to God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Every time. The word is never used in all of Scripture to describe one thing becoming something else. It always describes something that was already there but becomes stronger afterwards. You say, why do you bring this up, Will? Well, because this passage is often misunderstood. Some claim that God made Pharaoh just to destroy him. The only reason that God created Pharaoh was to get glory by bringing him low. But the scriptures don't tell that story. You say, hold on, well, what about Romans 11? Come on Sunday mornings and we will fix that, okay? But that is not what the scriptures testify. God loved Pharaoh. 
The scriptures tell a different story. Look over in chapter 3, verse 19. This is the first mention of opposition that God speaks to Moses about. He tells him, you're going to go to the Hebrew people, they're going to be excited, then you're going to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and you're going to say, God says that we should go three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. God explained to Moses there that Pharaoh will not let the Israelites go. The first mention of Pharaoh's decision-making is that it is an act of Pharaoh's will, not an act of God's will. Now, God explains in 421 here that he's going to strengthen that decision of Pharaoh over the course of this process. Moses uses the first word for harden, the one that means to make yourself difficult or dull or insensible. Moses uses that word to describe when Pharaoh refused refuses to do what God says. Not when God hardens his heart. See, God doesn't come alongside and Pharaoh's going, yeah, I should probably let the people go. And God's going, ha ha, no, zap, you know, and changes his heart. And, you know, all of a sudden Pharaoh's going, so honey, I heard you're going to let the people go. That's great. And he's like, no, no, I've changed my mind. No, no, that's not what's going on here. It's not like Pharaoh's this really nice guy. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I love people. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have slave labor. Go ahead. And God's like, ah, I got to get glory. No, that's none of that going on here. That's absurd. So what does it mean that God strengthened or confirmed that decision? Well, you know, we read in Scripture elsewhere that God's Spirit won't always strive with man, right? And here's the truth. If you keep fighting God, he'll say, fine, this is really what you want? You've got it. And then he confirms our stubbornness. The Bible talks about that in Romans 1, doesn't it? And God gave them over, and God gave them over, and God gave them over, right? But the choice starts off as yours. God just confirms the decision. Now, the good part about that is there's a flip side. If we choose to obey, then he strengthens our resolve there too. Isn't that awesome? See, here's the truth about God. He gave Adam and Eve a choice right there in the garden. He said, you don't have to love me. There's consequences if you go against me, but you don't have to love me. For a relationship to be meaningful, the choice has to be meaningful too. The reason that my marriage means so much to me is because she actually wakes up every morning and wants to stay with me. That's crazy. After all the annoyance I've brought into her life the previous day, and she wakes up and she smiles at me. That makes it meaningful. I think there's no one else in the world that would love me like this woman does. And that makes it meaningful because it's her choice. She could choose one day to do otherwise, but she doesn't, and that makes it meaningful. So God confirms Pharaoh's hard heart, his own dull, stubborn, insensible decisions that he refuses to do what God says and he strengthens his will and God comes alongside and says, fine, that's what you want, you've got it. This is not the plan I have for you, but if that's what you want, we'll go there. Real quickly, verses 22 and 23, where we get the mention of the firstborn here, that foreshadows God's plan for the 10 plagues. And yet, even here, we see God's mercy in the warning. You know, God doesn't storm into Egypt and kill Pharaoh's firstborn immediately after Pharaoh says no. Right away, he warns Pharaoh and he says, listen, if you want to fight with me, this is how this ends. But think how long it takes God to get there. Ten plagues. You ever wonder why all those plagues? It's not like God just has a thing for lice and frogs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's not like they're up in heaven and, you know, Gabriel's like, what next, God? This is awesome, you know? And he's like, lice, let's do lice. Never, I've never done lice before. None of that. The Lord was each step being merciful in his judgment, trying to get Pharaoh to change his mind. You know, the Bible says that even in wrath, he remembers mercy. You know, he gives Pharaoh time and time again chances before he brings this heavy judgment. 
And we know the reason why is because God declares in his word that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. There are those who teach that, that it pleases God to damn the lost. God takes no pleasure, my Bible says, in the death of the wicked. None, under any circumstances. That is the consistent testimony of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In all the hoopla over who's hardening who, we actually miss the main point. And the main point is that God is making it very clear to Moses that Israel's deliverance from Egypt is going to be a long process. He's telling them, you're going to be opposed. This is now the second time. You're going to go tell him to do this, and he's going to say no. And I'm going to have to bring your people out, not right away, but with a mighty hand. It's going to take time. And you know what? The the reason that it's important is because Moses forgets that when he gets there. Verse 24. Now it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband are you to me. She is British. So he let him go and she said, Some people are just starting to get it. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's late. I, I get it. It's okay. So he let him go. That's God. God let him go. And then she said, A bloody husband you are because of the circumcision. Now, I don't need to explain any of this. We'll just go right on to verse 27. (laughs) You know, there's those moments when you're reading your Bible and you just kind of put it down for a moment and go, okay, God, uh, what in the world's going on there? You know, (laughs) I mean, here's the truth. And maybe I'm just kind of weird in my thinking, but I'm thinking, God, you had a lot better reasons to kill him before this. I don't talk very well. You're like, ah, you know, (laughs) I don't want to go. Fine. I'll get somebody else. But here it just comes out of the blue. And my mind is thinking, he's finally doing what you asked him to do. Why are you going to kill him? I came to pass, by the way, in the inn. It's even in a nice venue, too. That the Lord met him and sought to kill him. The word there, met, means to approach or confront. God confronts Moses specifically to kill him. Now, some have stated that Moses became deathly ill. That's why she has to perform the circumcision. He's not physically able to. I don't know if that's the case. I've always pictured it as a little bit more direct. Call it my author's mind that makes all sorts of things interesting. But either way, why would God want to kill him now that he's finally on his way? Well, verse 25 and 26 gives a bit more insight to What is going on here? For it says that as God's about to kill him, that then Zipporah, his wife, takes a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. I'm glad that medicine has at least gotten more modernized than that. What's going on here? And then she threw it at his feet and threw a tantrum. So Zipporah circumcises his son. Now, my first thought is, how old is this guy? I don't know. Moses is 80. He's been married to her for, we don't know, but... It could be 40 years or 39 or whatever years. I don't know how long their courtship was. So I don't know if they had children late in their marriage. I don't know if these are still young boys. And then the other thought is, well, what about the other kid? Was he circumcised already? I mean, is it possible that when they had their firstborn that Moses circumcised him and Zipporah said, never again. You're you're one of us now and we don't do that thing. And that's horrible. We don't do that stuff. So maybe that's what happened. But for whatever reason, one of them is circumcised and one of them's not. And that's why God's going to kill him, because he has not circumcised his second or first, I don't know which one, whichever one it is, one of his boys. You might be saying, why would would you do that, God? Well, turn over to Genesis 17 with me. It is quite significant. And you're familiar with this story. In Genesis 17, Abraham has tried his own method, and they bring about Ishmael, and that doesn't go well. And so God finally comes to Abram, and he says to him, listen, you need to start walking with me again. And I'm going to make my covenant with you. And so verse 4 of chapter 17 of Genesis, he says this. 
As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name any more be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made you, and I will make you exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come out of you. Remember, he doesn't have any kids at all yet. And I will establish my covenant, verse 7, between me and you and your seed or descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. So this is something that's supposed to be passed down from every descendant of Abraham. And this is the covenant, that I will be a God to you and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you are a stranger, a foreigner, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, you shall keep my covenant, therefore, you and your seed after you in their generations. How? Verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. So Genesis here explains the significance of circumcision. God promised two things. I'll be your God and I will give you this land. And every time a family circumcised their child, they were declaring their agreement and their faith in that plan. That God, you are our God and that you're going to give us this land. That was what was understood every time they circumcised their child. Moses doesn't do that. Moses obeys God's call, but here we see he's still not 100% on board. And I think God finally just says, you know, enough is enough, Moses. You can't lead the people where you won't go yourself. If you won't believe and accept my promise that I'm going to be your God and I'm going to give you this land, and you don't really think I'm going to do it, then how on earth are you going to be able to lead Israel? They're going to find out your kids aren't circumcised. I think the Lord just finally was coming to Moses and saying, you know what, Moses, either you're on board or you're not. Make your decision now. If God is calling you to do something, you need to make sure your spouse is on board before you start because this is where the problem comes in. The reason Moses hadn't done it is because it created a problem between them. She obviously thought this was not a very nice thing to do. And she thinks, you know, a husband of blood are you? You just have a fascination with bloodshed and violence and whatever. You know, I've known leaders who had to step down because their wives never wanted to make the necessary sacrifices that a leader's family must make. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but you need to be on the same page. God's call on a person's life has considered the person's family, spouse, situation, problems, character, finances, and abilities. Through it all, God says he will do the work. He will go before and he will make a way. God will not lead you where he hasn't gone before. Don't be afraid to step out in faith into whatever God has called you to do, big or small. Should you have questions about anything or would like prayer concerning today's message or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel, Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. strong